You're listening to the Oddscast, the original UFC betting podcast that's straight to the point. Hosted by leading MMA oddsmaker Nick Kalikas and MMA journalist Brian Hemminger, they provide you the absolute best UFC betting info, picks, statistics, and analysis from the most respected authority in mixed martial arts betting. MMAoddsbreaker.com. Don't place your wagers without us. Welcome to the Oddscast, presented by BetDSI. I'm Brian Hemminger, joined today by leading mixed martial arts oddsmaker Nick Kalikas to break down this Saturday's UFC on ESPN Plus 22 event, which takes place in Sao Paulo, Brazil. If you're unfamiliar with our format, Nick and I will break down the fight card from top to bottom, providing extensive analysis and a pick for each fight after doing our film study for the event. Looking back at our last event, Kyle Marley's premium bets for UFC on ESPN Plus 21 lost 3.6 units overall after going 0-1, although he did win 10 units at UFC 244 the event before. Kyle has his bets and fantasy MMA picks available now on MMAOddsBreaker.com. Back to the present, UFC on ESPN Plus 22 features a 12-fight card in total and will be aired in its entirety on ESPN Plus this Saturday night. Let's dive right in. Now, kicking things off on the preliminary card is a women's bantamweight contest between Tracy Cortez, who is 6-1, and and Vanessa Mello, who is 10-6. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? couple quick shout outs before we get rolling here as always make sure you guys head over to betdsi.eu that's our official sportsbook sponsor for the odds cast betdsi is the place to go so make sure you guys check them out and also go to mmaozbreaker.com click on the premium picks tab and check out big marley three's premium plays he's got a couple there for you guys for this weekend and also his DraftKings analysis as well the guy's one of the best in the world up over 260 units in 18 months i mean like i said one of the best in the world so if you're not getting his premium picks make sure you head over and start purchasing them because the guy is on fire overall last 18 months. Like I said, um, you can't really miss out. So make sure you head over and get those picks. Now getting into this card, another fun card, really. I mean, it's, it's kind of a tricky one for, at the betting window. So we'll say that from the top, but first fight off with Cortez opening minus 185 and mellow the comeback plus 145 currently over at bet DSI. We are looking at Cortez at minus 217 the comeback on Melo now at plus 177. So a little bit more actually coming in Cortez's way. This should be a competitive fight to start things off. So I am in agreement with the action coming in a little bit more towards Cortez to start things off. I think I do favor her a little bit more because I think she is the more complete fighter at this stage in the game. I mean, both these ladies are definitely going to bring it. I like what I see with them. I mean, they're aggressive on the feet and they make for a fun fight. Um, I think they could definitely go back and forth. I think Mello actually has a slight advantage on the feet. I mean, she came into her UFC de- debut on short notice. She was respectable in her performance against Aldana there. I mean, I know it didn't end up uh, the way she wanted to, but still, I mean, you got to see a little bit of uh, what Mello's capable of doing on the feet. Um, with Cortez, I think that's her path of victory is try to keep this fight standing because I think Cortez is just a little bit more well-rounding, well-rounded. She does have that wrestling background as well, and she will probably look for the takedowns here and try to exploit uh, Mello on the ground here a little bit as well. So I think it will be competitive if it's, it's a scorecards. I think Cortez edges it out at 29-28, maybe 30-27 type of decision win, um, but 
Uh, that said, I do expect it again to kind of be back and forth in both these ladies, especially on the feet to have their moments. But I lean a little bit more towards Cortez. And again, I do think that the line is heading in the right direction. Where it's at now, though, it's a little bit tough because I do think it could be another competitive, like I said, 29-28. And the judges are always the wild card in these fights, especially ladies fights that are competitive. So you got to be cautious if you're going to lay over two to one in a fight like this. So it's probably a fight you stay away from at this point. But my pick is going to be Cortez. And I like Cortez as well. Uh, Melo is a pretty solid striker, but um, Cortez really impressed me with her uh, appearances in Invicta and on uh, Contender Series, um, just showcasing some very strong wrestling and top control. Um, Melo, if she can keep it upright, she has a decent chance to win this fight, but I just don't think she can keep it upright. Um, now Cortez primarily fights at flyweight and she's moving up, but Mello has fought at flyweight before as well, even though she missed weight at 135 in her last fight, uh, in her UFC debut. So, uh, I think that just speaks more for her preparedness than anything. So, uh, with this fight, uh, I don't expect Mello to have any edge having fought at Bantamweight already in the UFC because, you know, she's not any bigger than Cortez really. So, um, realistically, I think Cortez is going to be able to drag Mello to the ground. Um, I don't think Mello's ground game is going to be good enough to sweep her or put her in any bad positions. Um, and, uh, I think Cortez spends the majority of this fight in top position. Um, I'm not convinced Cortez will get the stoppage, but I do think Cortez gets top position enough to, uh, win a decision. So I'm going to side with, uh, Tracy Cortez. Now, moving up to the featherweight division, we have Hanan Barrow, who is 34 and 8, taking on Douglas Silva Andrade, who is 25 and 3. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Andrade opened minus 170, the comeback on Barrow at plus 130. And right now, what we're seeing over at BetDSI, Andrade minus 263, the comeback on Barrow at plus 211 crazy if you think about the amazing career that Barrow has had. Now, of course, that's gone, and I mean, we've, we're seeing a completely different fighter these last couple of years from Barrow, and it's kind of sad to see because he was one of the elite, elite fighters on the UFC roster. I mean, he's such a talent. That said, I can't blame the betters for coming in on Draj's way. I'm leaning that way as well. I mean, timing is everything, and unfortunately for Barrow, like I said, he still definitely is a threat. I mean, you can't take him lightly, especially early on in the fight in round one. I think that his skill still there. He still have has a danger as far as knockout power and some capabilities, of course, of finishing the fight on the feet, on the ground. I mean, the guy is still a stud. He's not going to forget his technique, and, you know, he's got some wrestling, of course, good jiu-jitsu as well. So he's definitely a threat. You cannot take him lightly here. So I think the people that are continuing to just kind of smash the line at minus 260 or so are kind of crazy. I mean, because, again, I mean, he's a front runner at this point of his career, but he is still capable and he's still dangerous. Now, that said, am I confident that he's going to get it done? I don't think so. I think I've been more impressed, obviously, with Andrade. I think he's really been um, gaining a little bit more confidence. I know, you know, unfortunately for him, he ran into a buzzsaw right now that is uh, Peter Yan that's obviously kind of lining himself for a potential title shot. He's fighting Uriah Faber next, so not necessarily a bad loss for him. Before that, though, I think we've seen a lot of good, really, from Andrade overall in his career. I mean, you can see the improvements in his game. I know he got caught by that guillotine choke from Rob Font. 
But up until that point, it wasn't a bad fight for him either. So I think that there's a lot to like about Andrade. And I think here he's going to end up, as the fight progresses a little bit, start he's going to start busting up Brow. He's going to start taking control of this fight. He's going to win this fight, really. He might even finish Brow before it's a scorecard. So I do think he wins at least two out of three rounds if it does hit the cards. But I think there's a likely chance that he does finish this inside as well. So I do agree with the early action coming in Andrade's way. It definitely was a favorite or pass situation. I'm just laying a little cautious here where the line is right now because, again, I mean, sometimes these vets can come back and bite you. You know, you're kind of counting them out too soon, and then they show a little bit of life, and, you know, they have that kind of killer instinct that kind of comes back to them at some point, and they can finish fights. So you got to be careful is what I'm talking about as this line escalates a little bit. So the pick for me, though, is Andrade, and I think he does get it done. Yeah, and what's interesting is, you know, these guys have spent – the majority of their UFC careers at Bantamweight, with Barrow even being the former Bantamweight champion. Uh, and then they're moving both up to featherweight this time around. Uh, with Barrow though, I mean, he practically has been fighting featherweight for his last four fights that he's all lost. Uh, he had a 140 pound catchweight fight against Aljamain Sterling that he lost. Uh, he did actually fight Brian Kelleher at Bantamweight and lost. Then he missed weight, 141.75 pounds against Andre Ewell. And then Luke Sanders, he got knocked out coming in at 138 pounds. So, you know, he needed to move up. The guy just cannot make 135 pounds. Um, Douglas Silva and Draj, you know, he fought his UFC debut at featherweight and then dropped afterwards and went on a nice little three-in-one run before uh, his last fight where he got TKO'd against Peter Yan. Um, and that's not the worst thing in the world. Peter Yan right now is a top five Bantamweight in the UFC. Uh, and then his other loss was Rob Font at Bantamweight, another pretty solid Bantamweight. So uh, I don't feel bad for his losses. I mean, one of those wins was Marlon Vera, a guy that's currently on a complete dominant run in the UFC uh, Bantamweight division. So... Uh, overall, I, I just feel like Douglas Silvantraj does still have more in the tank. I mean, he is 34 years old and, uh, that actually does make him older than Hayden Barrow, but Barrow is just so much older in fight years. So much older. Um, it just feels like, uh, so much got taken out of Barrow with those losses to TJ Dillashaw. He's just really never been the same. Um, you know, since that second loss to TJ, I mean, dating to back to the second loss to TJ Dillashaw, he's two or he's, he's one and six. So, um, I just don't think he has it anymore. I'm honestly, you know, surprised that the UFC still has him on the roster after losing four in a row, especially with that last loss being a pretty violent knockout. Um, so... I think what happens here is uh, Douglas Silva de Andrade uh, gets the better of Barrow on the feet. I think that he can take shots better than Barrow. I think he pushes a better pace than Barrow. And as long as he doesn't get put in a bad position on the ground, uh, where Barrow does still have a strong ground game, um, I think uh, Douglas Silva de Andrade also can just outlast Barrow because Barrow has had uh, conditioning issues ever since the Dillashaw loss. So, uh, yeah, I think... Uh, yeah, as long as he doesn't get his back taken, then Douglas Silva de Andrade should get the job done. So he's going to be my pick. Now moving up to the welterweight division, we have Warley Alves, who is 13 and 3, taking on Randy Brown, who is 11 and 3. Now, Nick, 
What's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Another tough one. Alva's open minus 180, the comeback on Brown at plus 140. And right now what we're seeing is Alva's all the way down to minus 135, the comeback on Brown plus 113. Tough because, I mean, obviously the early action coming in on Brown, I, I do like it, especially at the opening price. There's no doubt about it. I would have gobbled up that opening line as well as far as Brown goes. This should be an interesting fight. I think it's it's tough because Alves has what it takes, I think. And, and of course, all the hype around him with the ultimate fighter, he just hasn't lived up to expectations. And a lot of it is, is because he's not really consistent. He's not dependable. I mean, he's a little bit – I mean – his conditioning, his lack of, I guess, staying on the gas and, you know, and just kind of having some holes in his game that he shouldn't really have at this point of his career as well. So he, he's just kind of a disappointing fighter because he's not the fighter that goes out there and, and shows that, that the flashes that he does when he does finish somebody on the feet because he does have knockout power on the feet. When he does have those six submissions, he does have some wrestling. So he's a very capable fighter and he definitely has a skill. In fact, I think he's the more dangerous fighter of the two here against Randy Brown. No, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I think this guy is a little bit more dangerous and capable on the feet. And I think he's obviously more capable on the ground as well with his submission skill. So that's what's frustrating for me with Alves. I mean, he has all the tools to definitely win this fight. That said, he does, again, have some problems. I mean, as the fight progresses at times, if it's a tough, grueling fight, he does start to slow down. And that's where Brown is going to be a handful for, I think, Alves in this fight, because I think Brown has kind of what it takes as far as with that length, with that frame that he has and the ability and the tools that he has. I mean, he could keep his distance and utilize that length a little bit and kind of bust Alves up. And if he could survive early on in this fight, as it progresses, it probably starts turning to Brown's favor a little bit. And I think Brown can start out pointing Alves. But... Then again, I think Brown can possibly get himself in some trouble if he's a little bit sloppy and he gets in um, a little bit more too, uh, a little bit confident or too confident or too cocky, I should say, as as it goes. So this is an interesting fight. I could realistically see it going either way. I think Brown could catch Alves as it goes later in the fight. I think Alves could finish Brown realistically any point in the fight as well. So I've been kind of going back and forth on this fight uh, myself. So I'm going to pick Randy Brown based on uh, – I think he has a little bit more upside, and I do, again, I like the size and the frame from him, but it's not a confident pick because I do think Alves can go in there and realistically finish this fight in round one, round two, and uh, make me look real bad for picking Brown here as well. So another one I'm on the fence about, again, this is a tricky card. This is a tricky fight. Pick him's about right, um, and I think there's going to be two action continuing to come into this fight as well. So it's a tough one, but I'll side slightly with Randy Brown because I think he's been a little bit more impressive as of late, and I think he is on the rise. Now, that said, again, I should mention I don't trust his chin that much. And again, he is vulnerable a little bit, and Alves is a finisher. So that's the confidence, the lack of confidence, I should say, as, as well. So the pick for me, Randy Brown, but not a confident one. And I'm going to come in the other way. Um, Randy Brown does have the size and reach, and if he can keep his distance and pick apart Warley Alves, then, uh, yeah, he can definitely win this fight. But my main issue is the the use of his reach is still a bit of a work in progress. Um, and Alves is a, a very dangerous fighter. I mean, he can get in, uh, Brown's grill. And I think that if he does force this to be more of a phone booth fight, then Alves is the one that's going to be doing the damage. Uh, Alves has some heavy hands and I think Brown is a little chinnier. I, I know that they're both, uh, have 
had some tough losses with uh, getting knocked out, but uh, I think that Brown probably has the worst chin of the two, and Alves actually has a little bit more power as well. So you factor both of those in. Um, I think Alves is going to be the one that can hurt Brown on the feet, even though Brown does have the size and reach. Now, if and when this fight does go to the ground, Brown has some length, so he is going to be dangerous uh, with uh, using those long limbs as levers, but um, we also have Alves having the nastiest guillotine choke in the welterweight division. Uh, we've seen this guy tap out Colby Covington, of all people. Uh, he's He is still Colby Covington's only loss in the UFC, uh, and that's because Covington left his neck out there, and Alves latched on and choked him out. So, uh, And we've also seen Brown, you know, even in top position, get uh, knocked out from someone on bottom that just swung their fist hard enough. Now, granted, Nico Price is a bit of a unique uh, person, but uh, that's pulled that off twice now, but um, it could still happen. So uh, I think uh, Alves has a very good shot of getting a guillotine choke in this fight because Brown shoots in for a takedown after getting rocked. Uh, I think Alves can get inside Brown's reach and, and connect as well. So uh, I am a little concerned about Brown picking him apart for three straight rounds, but uh, I think Alves is going to be smart enough to, you know, close that distance smartly, not just rush in face first. Um, and I hopefully learned his lesson from that step in knee that James Krauss uh, landed on him. So my pick is going to be uh, Worley Alves, I think uh, possibly by submission. Now, dropping down to the lightweight division, we have Francisco Trinaldo, who is 23 and 7, taking on Bobby Green, who is 24, 9 and 1. Now, Nick, where did this fight open and how has the public shifted things so far? Trinaldo open minus 165, green plus 125. And right now what we're seeing over at BetDSI is currently Trinaldo minus 141, the comeback on green plus 117. So another spot where there's two-way action lines have tightened up a little bit as well. Another tough one, another pick em type of fight with a slight lean towards Trinaldo, of course. Can't argue, I mean, Trinaldo, man, what a career he's had throughout the UFC, especially at his age. I mean, I have a ton of respect for the guy. Just a solid, solid, underrated fighter. Tough as nails, dangerous as heck, man. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff to like about him. I mean, at age 41 years old, he's never been better, really. I mean, I know that his body and his, his everything's going to be on the kind of decline a little bit because you can't fight father time, of course, as well. But I mean, as far as everything put together for him, it's a shame because if he was 10 years younger, this guy could legitimately, I think, put himself in line if he, with the improvements that he's made for, I mean, a title shot eventually. So, that's how good this guy could be. But again, I think he's still very solid out despite his age. And I mean, he's tough for anybody really. And, and it's going to be a tough fight for Bobby Green here as well because of the threats that Trinaldo possesses. And again, on the feet, he's got some wrestling. He's got some subs. So you can't sleep on Trinaldo anywhere. But that said, I like what I see. Bobby Green's another one of these guys that's kind of been underrated throughout his career as well. I mean, facing a lot of good competition and he always overperforms. I mean, a lot of people don't expect him to do so well. And then he makes it a close split decision type of fight. Um, with his unorthodox but effective striking style. I mean, Bobby Green's fast. He's unique in his striking, and the judges seem to like it for sure. I mean, he could definitely outpoint uh, Trinaldo here and, and be effective along the way. It's not like he doesn't have a lot of – well, I shouldn't say a lot of power, but it doesn't. he does have enough power to do some damage along the way, especially to an aging, 
41 year old as well. I mean, I think he could bust up Trelaw though. These guys are going to be busting each other up back and forth because Green does absorb some punishment. I mean, he's been knocked out. He's been rocked. He's been in some trouble as of late as well throughout his career. It's kind of been back and forth recently. Green is not necessarily on the upside of his career either. So he's a decline fighter. I mean, in MMA years, Green's actually had a more grueling career overall. So this is interesting, really. Um, despite Trinaldo being the older fighter here. So I can see this, another fight that's going to be competitive back and forth. I'm leaning towards Green because I think if this fight does hit the scorecards, I think he's basically going to be the one that the judges are swayed to a little bit more because he's going to be the one that kind of makes them like him a little bit more. I mean, he's, he has kind of that ability about him, I think, where despite him losing some close decisions, I still think, again, the way he goes about um, his striking and the way he kind of cannot point his opponent and especially in this spot with the speed and with his own orthodox ability i think he can be effective here in this spot and, and do enough to steal a close decision even if it is in brazil so i like green here i think it is going to be a close fight but i think he's going to edge it out yeah this should be a, a competitive fight i mean both fighters in francisco and Tornado have been around the block um both have had some uh, really strong runs inside the octagon both put them in contention in the lightweight division and both are uh, nearing, I would think, the end of their careers. Although with Trinaldo, you just never know. I mean, the guy's forty in his 40s, and he still is performing at a high level. Um, I've really very rarely seen a fighter do this, other than like Randy Couture. And that was different because, you know, heavyweights and light heavyweights are a lot slower. And, you know, I just... It's been crazy to see how Trinaldo's been able to perform at this level. Um, that being said, you know, Bobby Green pushes a very high pace. So it's going to be really interesting to see if uh, Trinaldo can keep up. Because normally Trinaldo is the guy that's uh, fighting at a high tempo. But uh, Bobby Green actually has similar defense uh, percentages, similar significant strike percentages. Um, and... He just pushes a really high tempo. So it'll be really interesting to see, uh, with, with Green landing about two strikes more per minute over the course of, uh, the fight. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see if Trinaldo can keep up because, uh, you know, this is a guy, both of these guys hit hard. Both are aggressive. Both are technically solid strikers. Um, Green has a very, very slight one inch reach advantage. He's an inch taller. Um, and, uh, you know, this is, this is going to be a competitive contest and it's in Brazil, which is, uh, Trinaldo's home, her home turf. Um, but overall, I just feel like, uh, Bobby Green's tempo might actually be too much. You know, initially I was, I was leaning Trinaldo, but the numbers are telling a little bit of a different story. Bobby Green is just a little bit better than Trinaldo, just barely percentage wise. Uh, and then he also just pushes a much higher tempo. So uh, unless Trinaldo can crack Green and hurt him early, um, I think Green might just be able to outpace Trinaldo over the course of three rounds. So uh, again, initially I was leaning Trinaldo, but uh, I, I have to side with the numbers here. And I think uh, you know Bobby Green has been fighting better than he's been giving credit for. Uh, he should have won that last fight. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's had some fights that just have not quite gone his way recently. But, um, I think that the, 
Tide might be turning back his way with this one. And at some point, you have to think that age is going to catch up to Trinaldo. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to side with Bobby Green, actually. Now, dropping down to the featherweight division, we have Ricardo Ramos, who is 13-2, and two, taking on Eduardo Garagori, who is 13-0. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Ramos open minus 215, Garagori plus 165. And right now, looking over at BetDSI, we are seeing Ramos coming in at minus 360 to come back on Garagori at plus 270. So line marks have tightened up, more action coming in. Ramos's way. Of course it is. I mean, there's no question Ramos is a, a, one of those guys that, again, talk about hype and talk about skill and talk about potential title contender, all that stuff. I mean, this guy was well on his way, very solid wins over his career thus far as well. Got all derailed um, to that loss that he recently had a couple fights ago. So, man, I mean, that, that was a surprise. I'll tell you what, I, I was definitely scratching my head by how bad that loss was against Nurmagomedov. I mean, it, it was just, I didn't expect Ramos to get blown out quite like that. Um, before that, though, we saw nothing but solid skill everywhere from this guy. I mean, Ramos has skill. He got, he has that length for the, this weight class as well. Has a little bit of power, of course. He's capable of finishing the, feet, uh, the fight on the feet. Uh, wrestling, takedown ability. I mean, he's been in there with some very good grapplers. He's capable of finishing the best on the ground as well. I mean, this guy is legit everywhere the fight takes place. But I do think he's slightly overrated. And I do think that it's going to start showing as the, his career progresses a little bit more. And, you know, I'm saying that with no disrespect intended because I do, again, I just highlighted a lot of his skill. And I, I think this guy is elite offensively. But, again, defensively, he's hittable, of course. We've seen that. And I think that his grappling is definitely tough to deal with. And he's more ca- than capable of beating most on the ground. And, I, you know, I mean, that's, I think, his best attribute, honestly, overall. And that's where he's going to have his advantage over Garagori as well here. But I still think that if you could put it together with Rambles, keep him on the feet, and start striking with him, you could pick him apart a little bit as well. So Garagori is going to be that type of fighter that could be effective because the way he strikes and the power that he has, he has that southpaw switch type of stance. He does have effective aggression. Um, I think he could definitely be a threat for Ramos on the feet. But the problem is Ramos is going to go for that takedown. Garagori has okay ground skill, of course, but the takedown defense is kind of spotty. And I guess Ramos is probably not going to hold up enough. And then Ramos, again, even though Garagori has never been submitted in his career, he's a different level fighter on the ground. I think he does have that advantage. So for me, I'm pulling for Garagori. I, I want to see him kind of come in here and just shake things up a little bit and surprise everybody, keep this fight hopefully upright for himself to get to try to get him, give him a shot to win. Um, but realistically, I have to go with Ramos. I do realize the advantage he does have on the ground, and he probably does get it there and get it done. So I'm going to pick Ramos, but again, this, at the price, there's no way I could lay over 3-1 to one against a guy that's aggressive, undefeated, doesn't know any better, really, in Garagori. He's going to come in here, and he's not going to be afraid. He's not going to come in um, you know, trying to, I think, hesitate because he's afraid of getting taken down. I think he's going to come guns a-blazing, and he's going to come try to knock him out. So I would not lay... Like I said, 360 for almost 400 on this right now. It's a dog or pass situation, but I do think that Ramos gets it done and probably by submission. So my pick is Ramos, but certainly stay away from it at this point. Don't even throw him in a parlay. Yeah, and and I'm going to side with Ramos too. Now, Garagori is a talented fighter, um, and he was actually better than I expected. Um, you know, I felt like the UFC brought him in just to get uh, a win on his home turf, 
uh, and get the crowd riled up. Um, because, you know, honestly, his opponent in that UFC debut, uh, Bandanay, really wasn't anybody that special, could have been released already from the UFC, and they let him stick around to, to get beat up in front of a home crowd. But uh, Garagori actually impressed me in that fight. You know, he, he pushed a strong pace for 15 minutes, and that's something that uh, Ramos could get himself in a little bit of trouble with. Um, you know, if, if Ramos does not get this fight to the floor, I could see Garagori outworking him on the feet and, uh, potentially, uh, getting the, the judges to side with him. So, uh, that being said, uh, Ramos on the ground is just a whole nother level. Um, he has, uh, just some very unique and unorthodox submission ability. Um, very strong Brazilian Jiu Jitsu grappling. So, if and when this fight goes to the floor, I would expect Ramos to be in complete control. But until then, I think it's anybody's game. I mean, you saw uh, Ramos get uh, stopped by uh, Saeed Nurmagomedov, a fighter that's really not that elite in the, the featherweight division. So um, that being said, you know, he looked fine in his last fight, a bounce-back performance against Newsom. Um, but... Uh, yeah, uh, this is a, this is a potential trap fight for Ramos if he doesn't take it seriously. Garagori, he's 13 and 0. He pushes that high pace and, um, and Ramos has fought at, uh, you know, 135. He's trying to make his way at 145 now. So, um, it'll be interesting to see how he performs. But, uh, overall, I do think that Ramos is just the more well-rounded fighter here. And he should get the job done, but uh, I would not be shocked to see Garagori really make him work for it. So uh, I think it'll be tougher than the odds indicate, but I am going to side with Ramos. Now, moving up to the welterweight division, we have Sergio Moraes, who is 14 and 5 and 1, taking on James Krause, who is 26 and 7. Now, Nick. Where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Kraus open minus 190, the comeback on race at plus 150. And right now what you're seeing over at BetDSI is currently Kraus minus 208, the comeback on race at uh, plus 171. So line markers have tightened up a little bit more actually coming in Kraus's way. I get it. I mean, Kraus, if you do MMA math, Kraus should cruise here. He should have an easy fight. There's no question about it. And you know what? Kraus should have an easy fight if he does keep this fight standing and keeps it on the feet because he is definitely the better striker here. Maurice is getting better. Don't get me wrong. You cannot take this guy lightly on the feet anymore. But, I mean, if you're going to go strike for strike with James Kraus on the feet, Maurice is in trouble here on the, uh, you know, in this fight. But, the other end of it is Kraus had had some problems with people laying on him in the past, getting him down to the ground. And even though Kraus has a very good ground game and is capable of submitting most opponents and, and he's more than comfortable off his back, that's not where you want to be against Marais. Marais will submit Kraus if he gets him on the ground and he gets on top of Kraus. I, I do have a feeling he would get positioned and either start unloading on him or – Submit Kraus as well, despite Kraus's uh, ground skills. So this is an, an interesting fight, and it's it's kind of a, a head scratcher as well because, like I said, throw MMA math out the window because Kraus obviously goes out there and blows out Alves, and um, Race loses to Alves. So you would think Kraus just smashes Race in this fight, and it's 
as easy as that. But again, I think this is a spot from race to get a lot of respect back here against a very game and respectable opponent in Kraus. Kraus is one of these guys that's fighting for the pure love of it these days. You got to respect that from him. He's not fighting for the money. He's not fighting for anything more than really him wanting to do so. So you got to respect that. And I think that's kind of brought his mental game to another level. So I like that. And I like where Kraus is at this point. So I'm going to pick him to win, but again, I'm not that confident in this one either because I do think one mistake and Kraus ends up on his back, Maurice is going to win his fight. So, or if Maurice can continue to get takedowns, if he can't sub, I, I would find it hard to believe if he doesn't get the takedowns continuously and he, he can't find his way to a submission over Kraus, but maybe he gets enough takedowns to win on the cards as well or along the way. So I think Maurice is definitely, it's a dogger pass situation at this point, but again, Pick-wise, I have to lean a little bit more towards Kraus. But as far as the line goes, it's, it's definitely a dogger pass situation. Yeah, and I'm right with you. Um, now, I, obviously, I understand that uh, MMA math and how that works with Warley Alves uh, and how Alves dominated Moraes and Kraus was able to knock him out with that beautiful knee up the middle and follow-up punches. So, And that was... Not something that happened decades ago. That was, you know, most recently. So, uh, definitely something you have to take into consideration here. Um, now, uh, basically the way this fight plays out, Kraus is going to be the better striker. Uh, Kraus is the more diverse striker. He mixes things up really well. He has good technique, uh, with his knees, with his hands, with his kicks. Um, with his elbows. I mean, he's just clearly the superior striker from uh, Sergio Moraes. Uh, Moraes does have some power, so while he what he lacks in technique, he can potentially make up in uh, power if he can connect with something nasty. Uh, but that being said, um, Moraes, realistically, the only way he's going to win this fight is if he can get this to the canvas. Uh, and Moraes does not historically have the best uh, takedown offense. Uh, you know, this is a guy that has had uh, a lot of issues with his knees over the course of his career and uh, takedown accuracies at about 40%. But Kraus doesn't have the greatest takedown defense at 46%. So uh, if Moraes gets this fight to the floor, I definitely feel like it's going to be for to his advantage. I think uh, he's just the better grappler. Uh, Kraus is a talented grappler, so I don't think Moraes will just slice through him like a hot knife through butter. But uh, if Moraes gets, you know, two minutes of top position, that might be enough to get a stoppage, uh, whether submission or TKO, who knows. But uh, so Kraus definitely has to be extremely careful to avoid getting put on his back because on the feet, he's going to be in complete control. But if he makes some mistake and overcommits and leaves himself exposed, um, Moraes might be able to, to end this fight at any moment. So uh, I'm picking James Kraus, but I am terrified that this fight goes to the ground. So Kraus is going to be my pick, but again, please be careful with this one. Now, moving on to the main card, we have a middleweight contest between Marcus Perez, who is 11 and 2, and Wellington Terman, who is 15 and 3. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? 
Perez open minus 260, the comeback on Terman at plus 180. And right now what we're seeing over at BetDSI is Perez all the way down to minus 122, Terman at plus 101. So needless to say, everybody coming in Terman's way. You know what? At that plus money, I mean, there's no doubt about it. Another spot where, of course, you got to go Terman's way. Plus 180, are you kidding me? I mean, arguably, he could be favored in this fight. So I understand why everybody came in Terman's way. I mean, unfortunately, limits were not that huge, but that said, people definitely gobbled up uh, some pretty good numbers early on in this fight. And still, at plus money, I think it's kind of tempting to uh, to go Terman's way as well. I got a lot of respect for Perez, of course, LFA vet, the experience that he's had. And, and right now, I think he's actually the more complete and the more, I guess, put together MMA fighter at this point of his career. I think Terman's a little bit still more wild in a sort of way. I mean, both these guys have some wild aggression, don't get me wrong, but I think Perez is probably just a little bit, again, ahead of him overall with with total skill put together properly for MMA. But that said, I think Terman's is a little bit more wild. He's a little bit more um, of a dangerous and more capable fighter than Perez here, meaning, I mean, I understand Perez. I shouldn't say that because Perez, with his, especially with his chokes, I mean, he's got some slick submissions. I mean, he gets around your neck, you're in some serious trouble. So I shouldn't maybe say Terman's more dangerous in that aspect, because I think Perez is actually more dangerous when it comes to chokes on the ground here. But that said, I think Terman is a better overall grappler here. So this is interesting. I think Perez is more dangerous as far as, like, again, getting a, a neck or, or some sort. Uh, but I think Terman probably avoids that because he's pretty smooth on the ground himself. And again, I think he's a, the more complete ground fighter overall. I think he's a better wrestler. I think he's a better guy that kind of likes to get inside, gets this fight to the floor. Perez has had his difficulties in the past getting taken down and he's been out grappled i mean he does have some good reversals and he does have some capabilities of course and if, if you put uh Terman can get put on his back as well i wouldn't be surprised if perez gets top position back and forth here but i think more so than not Terman probably spends more time in top position and i think Terman probably has his way a little bit more so on the ground with uh perez now on the feet it'll go back and forth but i think Terman's aggression on the feet are probably going to win him over there as well so i think if this fight does hit the scorecards Terman probably edges it out. I think if this fight ends inside the distance, despite Perez being a dangerous guy and, and you got to be wary, um, and he's capable of finishing this fight by choke, I think Terman could actually maybe finish this fight inside as well. So there's a lot to like about Terman here, especially as an underdog. I think he should be a slight favorite. So my pick is Terman. And again, there's a little bit of value left on him as well. Yeah, this fight should be interesting. Perez, you know, he comes from a strong background, having a, being a former LFA champion and, and he's had some success most recently getting that, uh, Anaconda choke victory over Hernandez. And Turbin, on the other hand, you know, this is a guy that brings it, uh, you know, he pushes a hard pace on the feet, uh, in terms of just winging big power strikes. And then on the ground, he's dangerous. Uh, he might be more dangerous than Perez. Now, Perez is a little bit longer and lankier and might be a little trickier on the ground. But I think uh, Terman is actually the more physical ground fighter. So if it goes to the floor, I can see Terman being the one that gets top position, uh, that's going to be threatening with punches, uh, while Perez is more threatening with, uh, you know, arm bars and leg locks and all kinds of things like that. Uh, and obviously, he's Perez is known for those anaconda chokes as well. Uh, and you know, you go back and Terman's UFC debut was a split decision loss to Carl Roberson, but you know, a lot of people thought that he should have won that fight. I mean, that was a close fight, but uh, you know, Terman got the better of him. Uh, you know, MMA decisions had, I think, maybe eight out of uh, eleven siding with. 
uh, Terman, even though Terman ended up losing the split decision. Now, uh, how this fight plays out, I think Terman will be the aggressor on the feet. Perez does have some ability in the stand-up, but that's really not his strength. His strength is his submissions, but uh, Terman is pr- strong on the ground too. So, uh, you know, unless Perez can land some big shot on the feet, even though Terman is going to be the one pushing forward, uh, I think that'll be difficult. Um and unless Perez can catch Terman in something on the ground, which again, I think will be difficult because Terman is as good on the ground, if not better than Perez, then I think, uh, Terman gets the job done. I think Terman is just, uh, gonna be too aggressive and too physical in this fight for Perez. And, and we've seen Perez get bullied a little bit. Um, and he's been able to survive because of technique. But this time he's going to get bullied by somebody that has just as good technique, if not more, than him. So I'm going to side with Terman. I think he gets that first UFC win. Now, sticking with the middleweight division, we have Antonio Arroyo, who is nine and two, taking on Andre Muniz, who is eighteen and four. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? This fight opened exactly a pick-up. Munez minus 120, Arroyo minus 120. And right now, basically, it's a pick still, but the line margins have tightened up with Munez at minus 120, Arroyo at even money. Back and forth action coming in. This is a tough fight, man. I really like what I've seen from both these guys thus far. Both of these guys, obviously, uh, Dana White Contender Series vets, and both of them have had success on the show, and, and they deserve to be in the spot that they are right now. So, it's interesting that they put them against each other here as well. And you have some conflicting styles here as well because, I mean, they're both complete fighters, of course, but Arroyo, I think, could be a little bit more effective, especially in this spot on the feet, whereas Munez, Munez is a little bit more effective um, on the ground, of course, and he's got some length. He's got some kind of crazy um, skill to go along with that length, even on the ground as well. So I think Munez is going to look to get this fight, obviously, the ground. Arroyo is going to look to try to beat him up and keep this fight upright as well. But again, I think they're both going to have success in each other's realms as well. And of course, Arroyo has enough of a ground game uh, to get him by in most cases. But again, in this fight here, that's not what he wants to do. So I'm not quite sold in defensively in Arroyo. Uh, I think his ground game is offensively is um, where it needs to be, and he's definitely a threat. But I think against a guy like Munez here in this spot, especially even though a lot of times the length helps you on your feet. I think on the ground when you have long limbs and you know how to to kind of mix that in with good technique, and that's exactly what you have with Munez here in this spot, that's just too much to deal with. And I think he, if he could survive, I mean, he is a little bit chinny, and defensively on the feet, uh, he is problematic at times. But I think here he's tough enough to survive and find a spot or two on the ground against Arroyo as the fight progresses and probably gets his – um, position and gets it done here as well. So I like what I see in Arroyo. So this is kind of like a tough spot for me. Like I said, I, I was expecting this guy to get matched up differently. Um, and of course, Munoz is stepping in here on short notice. So we should say that as well because he was, Arroyo was matched up differently. I mean, I believe they matched him up with uh, Kevin Holland here. So that tells you a lot too. Man, would have that been a fun fight? But now it's, again, it's a different type of fight, different type of feel to it as well. So this is interesting and it's a little bit tougher for me. So I'm going to go with Munoz to, to get the W here, um, and I think it is going to be because his ground game is just significantly better than Arroyo overall. Yeah, this fight is uh, interesting. Both guys competed on uh, Contender Series in 2018, and they won by decision. 
but they didn't quite do enough to impress the big bosses. So they both fought on Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series in 2019. And they this time they both won by submission and earned their uh, UFC debuts. Now, Arroyo got his debut earned a little bit earlier because his fight was in July. And he, as Nick mentioned, he was supposed to fight Kevin Holland on this card. So that kind of shows what the UFC thought of uh, Arroyo, that he could step in there against somebody as serviceable as Holland right away. And then when Holland dropped out, they actually briefly matched him up against Alessio De Chirico, so another solid UFC middleweight. So the UFC definitely thinks Arroyo is a capable middleweight, and uh, now he's taken on Muniz. So, you know, this fight should be really interesting. Both fighters are uh, very talented. Uh, Muniz is going to have some uh, size and reach advantages, um, but I think Arroyo actually is the more powerful striker. Um, and Arroyo has the better chin. Uh, Muniz has been knocked out before uh, in 50 seconds, and it wasn't that long ago. But uh, Muniz also is, you know, crazy talented. I think he's currently on a stretch where, dating back to 2014, when he beat Paulo Filo, of all people, where he's won, um, I think, 11 of his last 12 fights, maybe 12 of his last 13. So, you know, this is definitely a guy that's on a roll. Um, and uh, Arroyo is talented as well. I think he's on a five-fight win streak. So uh, I, I really do feel like this is going to be uh, competitive, but I like Arroyo's power. Uh, I think uh, also the fact that uh, Muniz is stepping in on short notice uh, concerns me a little bit. So I'm going to side with Arroyo. I think that the, the short notice will affect Muniz. I think Muniz might start strong, but Arroyo will get the better of him over the course of three rounds. And I think Arroyo might be able to knock Muniz out. But uh, I would not be shocked if Muniz pulls this off, though. I mean, he is also extremely talented. So uh, there's there's a lot of unknowns with this fight just because both guys are making their UFC debuts. But I'm going to side with the fighter that at least has had a full training camp. So I'm going to go with Arroyo. Now, moving down to the lightweight division, we have Charles DeBronx Oliveira, who is 27-8, and eight, taking on Jared Gordon, who is 15-3. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Oliveira opened minus 335, the comeback on Gordon at plus 245. And right now, looking over at BetDSI, we are seeing Oliveira at minus 417, the comeback on Gordon at plus 321. So needless to say, actually coming in on Oliveira and not surprised. I'm surprised it's actually staying even at around 400. I thought it might be shoot up to 500. No disrespect to Gordon, but this is a big-time step down in competition, I think. I think Gordon's tough as nails, and he's definitely someone you can't take lightly because I think just with his heart, his toughness, um, and what he brings to the table with you know the pace that he pushes, and he can be a threat offensively, especially on the feet. But Oliveira is just kind of in his groove right now. If you look at his resume as of late, I mean, the guy's just been running through really good competition. In fact, I mean, those guys are better than Gordon. So this is a step down for Oliveira, and this is a huge step up for Gordon. And he's had kind of a up and down roller coaster ride of a career thus far in the UFC. I mean, he looked good his first couple fights. Then he had, you know, a couple fights that he didn't look so great. And then, of course, he bounced back with a solid win and got himself back on track. But that said, Moret is no Oliveira. So. Let's be realistic here. I'd be surprised if Oliveira loses this fight. He probably gets it done. Even though Gordon's never been submitted, 
there's a first time for everything, and Oliveira is just one of those slickest grapplers, I mean, offensively, you can get. So this is a head-scratcher, again, a weird spot for me. I, I almost have a feeling that this is like one of those spots in the NFL or NBA where it's kind of like a – I don't know. They don't take their opponent serious, and it's a lot tougher than uh, everybody thought. So, I mean, it almost has that feel. Maybe Gordon does better than we all think, but, man, he shouldn't here in this spot. Oliveira should get it done. So the pick is Oliveira. I mean, if you want to throw him in a parlay, I don't blame you either. But, again, I wouldn't go too crazy because it's almost too weird for me. So, I don't know. It doesn't make much sense, but Oliveira should get the W here. I'm right with you. Uh, this is perplexing matchmaking at its best. Um, you know, Oliveira's on a five fight win streak has stopped all five opponents and they've all been legitimate, uh, talented lightweights. He should be fighting somebody in the top 10, if not the top five in the lightweight division. And instead he's taken on Jared Gordon, who is on a one fight win streak coming off of a two fight losing streak. It just, it makes no sense whatsoever. This is some of the worst matchmaking I've ever seen, and I'm not joking, uh, for a fight that uh, wasn't actually put together on a, on a card where all of these other fights had fallen apart and they've had to add uh, replacement fighters. This one had no replacements. Like, this was actually booked from the beginning. It just makes no sense. Um, you know, I'm not even trying to discount Jared Gordon. It's just... With the the way Charles Oliveira has been fighting, he needs to be fighting someone higher ranked. Um, you know, he needs to fight somebody that can prove to see whether or not he's a a, a player in the lightweight division. So, yeah, and, and Jared Gordon is not that. You know, honestly, Gordon might be one of the worst of the five fighters that Oliveira has beat uh, on his current win streak. So, you know, and, and again, I'm not trying to downplay Gordon. It's just that just it just doesn't make sense. So that being said, if Oliveira does not take this fight seriously, Gordon is talented enough that he could crack him on the chin and knock him out. Uh, Gordon pushes a decent tempo. You know, he's uh, aggressive. He has a lot of heart. Um, and he has made some improvements with his striking. But, you know, also his wrestling is a strong part of his game. And he does not want to do that here because Charles Oliveira will tap anybody out. I mean, at this point, you have to say that he is one of the greatest submission fighters in UFC history, right there with Damian Maya. So um, if Oliveira gets a hold of Gordon, he absolutely will probably tap him out. And if Oliveira uh, is able to, to land some significant strikes, he can knock Gordon out. Oliveira has shown some improvements in his stand-up. His hands are actually getting pretty good. He has some power. Um, you know, he still potentially does have some chin issues, um, so that is a concern, but, um, you know, with his offensive threat, uh, with his hands and with his obvious, uh, threat of submissions, I think this fight should go only one way and that should be Oliveira's way. So I'm siding with Charles Oliveira. I think he wins by stoppage at some point, but again, he still has to take this fight seriously. Now, moving on to the co-main event of the evening in the light heavyweight division, we have uh, Mauricio Shogun Hua, who is 26 and 11, taking on Paul Craig, who is 12 and 4. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Hua opened minus 215, the comeback on Craig at plus 165. So looking at Betty's side right now, we are seeing Shogun Hua at 
minus 286 to come back on Paul Craig at plus 226. So line margins have tied up. More action coming Shogun's way. Not really surprised. Come on, Shogun can't lose to Paul Craig. Another one of those spots where I'd be shocked and disappointed in some ways as well, because that should never, never happen. The, the, I mean, the career, historic career the Shogun Hua has had, he should not lose to Paul Craig. But it's a weird spot again. I, I mean, Shogun is definitely not the same fighter he was in his prime. Paul Craig, I'll tell you what, again, I'm not trying to disrespect the guy. I'm just saying that there's no question who the better fighter of the two, you know, here. Not even a question. Shogun is by far better everywhere the fight takes place. I know that Craig, obviously on the ground, could give a lot of people some fits, including Shogun, even though Shogun has a good ground game in his own right. So that's his path of victory is Craig finding a submission, even against a guy like Hua on the ground and, and getting it done. Of course, you can't sleep on Craig in that regard. And again, his toughness, got to give him credit, man. The guy takes a beating and he's pulled off fights in the last minute. We've seen that before as well. So you cannot sleep on Craig. But despite Shogun being on the decline, being chinny, I mean, Craig does have a kind of crazy puncher's chance, of course, because of that Shogun chin at this point. But again, there's no question Shogun will light him up on the feet. He is definitely the more devastating striker. I think Shogun's a better wrestler. He'll get top position, probably brutalize Craig with ground and pound on the ground as well. Shogun might even finish him off with a sub in his own right. Cause I think that Paul Craig, even though offensively, he's obviously, like I said, dangerous. I think defensively, uh, Shogun might give him a few surprises in his own right. So I'm not going to keep talking about this fight. I mean, I'm going to pick Shogun, but to lay three to one on a declining Shogun over a kind of a dangerous guy like Craig, I don't know if that's exactly the smart thing to do at this point right now. I don't think I'm desperate enough to bet this fight or having to bet this fight. I mean, that's the thing. You don't want to force stuff sometimes. I mean, there's so many fights throughout the year that fights like this, even if you do find some value a little bit peeking out at itself, I mean, sometimes you just got to let it go and just move on to the next fight or next card, I should say. So this is one of those cases for me. I think that Shogun should win. And even if there is a little bit of value or whatnot, either way, just kind of let it go and watch the fight play out. So hopefully Shogun gets it done here. I'm going to pick him to win. And I'm right with you. Uh, Craig stepping in on two weeks notice for Sam Alvey and, and there are paths to victory for him. You know, Craig has a strong ground game. We've seen Shogun get tapped out by Shale Sonnen, so that's not out of the realm of possibility. Uh Craig also, you know, while he's not that great of a striker, he does have some power. And, you know, Shogun's getting up there in years. He's definitely had a lot of wear and tear uh in his career. So if Craig connects with something nasty, Shogun could go down. We've seen Shogun get knocked out multiple times, so... Um, there are definite paths to victory here for Paul Craig, but that being said, you know, this fight, we know what the UFC wants. You know, this is, you know, one of the more popular, uh, Brazilian veterans in the history of MMA and, uh, Shogun is still, you know, a legend in Brazil and UFC would love nothing more than to see Shogun just knock Craig's block off. Um, Shogun definitely is still a talented fighter. Um, you know, even though he is absolutely nearing the end of his career at 37 years old and having been fighting since 2002, um, he is currently having won four of his last five fights. And those are pretty quality wins. Uh, you look, uh, Tyson Pedro, John Vellante, Corey Anderson, uh, and Little Nog. 
you know, that's not bad. So uh, you have to give him some credit there. Um, and I will say uh, that uh, Shogun should be able to get the job done here. He's definitely the better striker. Um, and his takedown defense is good enough that he should be able to keep it upright. And, um, you know, he should be able to land something. You know, Paul Craig does not have that good of striking defense. And Paul Craig does not have that good of a chin. So as long as Shogun does what he is capable of doing, which is keep the fight upright and land some good Muay Thai strikes, he should be able to get the knockout win. But again, there are paths to victory for Craig here, even though he is stepping in on two weeks notice. So I'm picking Shogun, but uh, just be careful. I mean, there are, you know, there's a lot of downsides with Shogun as well, based on just his career in general. So again, I am picking Shogun though. Now moving on to the main event of the evening, also in the light heavyweight division, we have Jan Blakowicz, who is 24 and 8, taking on uh, Ronaldo Jacare Souza, who is 26 and 7. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Blakowicz opened minus 185, the comeback on Souza, plus 145. Right now, looking over at BetDSI, we are seeing Blackwitch minus 179, the comeback on Jacare Souza, plus 148. So, line marks have tightened up. There is two action in this fight. Blackwitch. Escalated to over 200 at one point. Now we're starting to see some action back in on Jacare as well. So there will continue to be two action. It's a surprise to me to see Blackwitch even favored over Jacare Souza. Kind of. Let me clarify that a little bit because I mean, again, throughout their careers, the historic career of Jacare Souza, even though he is moving up to light heavyweight, it would be a surprise if you asked this a couple years ago if, if he'd be an underdog, a two to one underdog to Blackwitch and it would definitely be another head scratcher. So that said, I mean, it's hard to argue it at this point. I mean, another spot where Jacques Souza definitely is the declining fighter. Again, he is moving up to light heavyweight. Might be a good move. I mean, out here in this spot here, Blackwitch is definitely going to have some advantages physically. Uh, he should be obviously the more natural light heavyweight. He's going to have some length on the feet as well. And that's where his real advantage is going to lie here in this fight. And that's why he is favored. Because if, if Jacques can't get this fight to the ground, I mean, he's looked... Not the greatest. I mean, I, the thing is, if you look, there's flashes of Jacare on the feet where, I mean, for a grappler, I've said it time and time again. I mean, it's it's been nothing but impressive watching him develop his striking through the years. And the guy became a threat. I mean, you could not sleep on Jacare's striking. The guy definitely had knockout power, good clean technique as well. And I'm saying had because it seems like he has kind of a little bit of a shell of himself in, in a way. Um, and again, I'm saying that because of his last fight. I, I mean, I was surprised to see him kind of look that bad against Hermanson. So that's said, I think people are maybe counting him out a little bit too much here because if he does get the takedown, I mean, again, even against Blackwitch, he could definitely win this fight. That's his path to victory, and he's levels. I mean, there's not even a question um, that he, if he's able to get this fight done against Blackwitch on the ground, he's more than capable of doing so. So that's where it's intriguing. I think it's a dog or pass situation, but I'm going to pick Blackwitch as far as pure pick goes because, again, I, I think there's a lot of question marks. And from what we've seen in Jacques Ray's last fight, Blackwitch is kind of on the rise a little bit more. I do think he is. He, since he's entered the UFC, Blackwitch has escalated his game to another level. I know he's had some up and downs in his own right as well, but I think, again, right now at this stage in his career, he is – the more upside of the two. And, and unfortunately for Jacques Ray, I think he probably does get the loss here. But again, at the betting window, it's certainly a dog or pass situation because I, it's hard to lay the chalk, even against a declining vet like Sosa, because again, all it might take is one takedown 
for him to get it done. So I could realistically see that happen here as well. So the pick is Black Witch, but if you're going to bet this fight, it's Dogger Pass. Yeah, this is definitely an intriguing main event, but it reminds me of another fight where uh, Blackowitz was welcoming a middleweight to the light heavyweight division, and it was Blackowitz's last fight when he destroyed Luke Rockhold, knocking him out cold. Um, my main issue here is that uh, Jacques Array, while talented, you know, he was doing fine at 185 pounds. I mean, yeah he probably wasn't going to become a, a title challenger uh, after suffering some, you know, tough losses, but, you know, he'd reached that point in his career where, you know, he was, his age was starting to catch up to him. I mean, he's still a freak athlete. He's still a tremendous grappler and he still has uh, a ton of punching power, but, um, you know, he, his conditioning is starting to slow. His chin is not as good as it used to be. Um, his reflexes aren't quite what they were. And, uh, I mentioned about the, the conditioning. Uh, he definitely does not have, you know, I wouldn't even say a full three round gas tank, whether alone a five round gas tank. So, you know, I am definitely concerned in this fight. Uh, even though Jacare is only an inch shorter than Blockowitz, he is giving up six inches in reach and Blockowitz knows how to use them because, you know, Luke Rockhold's a fighter that has used his reach pretty well and Blockowitz was just picking him apart. Uh, Blockowitz is a very talented striker. So I definitely feel like uh, Blockowitz will get the better of Souza on the feet. Um, and Blockowitz has pretty solid takedown defense. Um, earlier in his UFC run, uh, that was not the case. He was put on his back by, you know, Gustafsson. Um, and, and, and there were some uh, fights that he lost because of that. And, and he put the time in. He's added some wrestling to his game. And I would say he is a much more complete fighter now. He's actually won fights with top position uh, and takedowns. Um, so now I think, realistically, there's not a lot of easy paths to victory for Souza. Uh, yes, he could land that one huge shot on the feet because he does have that type of knockout power. We saw it in a fight he was losing against Chris Weidman and then just wham, cracked him in the third round, knocked him out cold. Um he also could get a takedown and uh, potentially stop Blackowitz on the ground. But again, that's going to be tough. You know, Blackowitz has uh, been in the UFC for a while now, and um, he has not really had too many issues with uh, getting stopped on the ground. So, uh, you know, I know Jacare is a tremendously talented grappler, but, you know, he would really have to be having a sense of urgency on the canvas to, to stop Blackowitz on the canvas. Uh, unless he does it like in the first seconds of the round and has the whole round to work. So again, um, I just think Blackowitz is going to be the better striker, the more conditioned athlete, the bigger, longer fighter. I think Jacare, you know, this fight that could make Jacare look really old. Um, because Blackowitz is still right in his prime and he is on that point of contention and, uh, this is a, a very, very dangerous fight for Jacare. So uh, I'm going to pick Jan Blakowicz. I think not only does he win, but I think at some point he knocks out Souza, possibly in the third round. So uh, Blakowicz is going to be my pick. So that'll do it for our full event breakdown for UFC on ESPN Plus 22. If we have a free play to give out, make sure to follow at MMAOB Premium on Twitter because that's where we'll post them first. 
We can also notify you of our free bets via email alert if you prefer that method. Just send an email to picks at MMAoddsbreaker.com and we'll add you to our free bet mailing list. Special thanks to BetDSI. Good luck, everyone, and hopefully the betting gods are on your side this weekend. 